This is the No Stroke Podcast with your co-hosts, David Dancero and Michael Garrow, helping you to support and thrive in life after stroke. Their podcast is designed for educational and community support purposes only and should not replace medical treatment and guidance of your own health professional team. Good evening, Michael. How are you this evening? Happy Thursday, David. Thursday. We're uh, recording a little late this evening for episode three. Three, season two. Season two. Okay. The only way I can remember, because you gave away a little too much on the last podcast, the 0202, so that prompted me, so thank you. So we are going to get rolling here, because we're an hour late starting. It's already docked uh, outside, um, and I'm really excited um, to bring in this evening's guest, um, but um, we'll do a little drum roll before she joins us, and I'll let you do that introduction. But um, I, you know, we we we've kind of made this a um, a thing where um, we talk about you know what was pressing in the news from the week prior, and we're really on a roll. So almost as hot of a streak is in May, where we went four for four during the month of podcasts every week we are three right now we i think we can keep this going so we're gonna we're gonna i want to keep the in the news real quick so i do have to ask you because you are the vrar expert in the in the news this week um a another rehab tech company called mind maze made the news for what reason mike uh, fill us in Follow the money, David. Follow the money. Um, there were, you know, those. Mind Maze is a company out of Sweden. They've been around for a number of years now. I, I remember doing my when I was doing my uh, thesis uh, in the VR for stroke rehab space, and these this was a one of the only companies really doing something clinically validated for stroke rehab using virtual reality. Um, so they've they've been around again. I would I would say. At this point, gosh, it's got to be, I'm dating myself now, but I mean, they, it, it has to be seven, eight years. Um, you know, so, so they were, they're out of Sweden and backed by actually a bit of Hollywood money, Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, and they, they're in a, they have their hands in a few different pies, but um, one of their products is a cl- clinic setting VR headset for stroke rehab so they immerse patients in a vr experience and for those who might not have you know seen or experienced vr it's a goggle goggle that or you know goggle that you put on um, and you, you know you're you're kind of put into this immersive world um, and it's starting to really gain traction um for, with, with evidence-based uh, medicine so there's a few companies like uh, applied vr who use um, use VR for um, chronic pain. And I actually just talked to a girl at the wedding I was at last weekend and she wrote her thesis on the use of virtual reality for pediatric um, anesthesia. So, I mean, it's, it's widely used. So my maze, you know, again, they made the news cause they raked in about 150 billion um, for series D 
um, validation. So I think what they're trying to do is really expand market. Uh, they're pretty predominant in, in Europe. Um, and so now they're trying to make the make their presence known here in the U.S. of A., well, thank our you. home country. Yeah. yeah. And I would say um, with that bit of extra um, cash in the bank, you know, maybe um, mm-hmm. someone like a mind maze might make a great show sponsor at some point. You know, you never know. <laughs> I just, hey, put, putting it out there, you know, yeah. we're not, you know. Um, You're not far off, Dave. <laughs> and, and just to, you know, touch on it, because, you know, and, and I know we do have Carolyn in, in the waiting room, but I do, I do think that this, you know, VR has such a major potential to really make a change for for stroke rehab um you know just you know how when i was doing my research you know you're you're really thinking about doing and as a physical therapist you know you have folks come into a very plush pt office where they have railings they have a, a nice you know knitted carpet they have the comfort around them um and what vr could do is put them in a place that is going to, going to make them uncomfortable, but then build that cognitive confidence really when they go out into the real world, whether it's, you know, stepping up onto a bus to get to the grocery market or, you know, anything really to, to kind of train that, that confidence from a cognitive point of view that they won't get in a clinical setting. So yeah. I really like the move, hope it could scale. Um, I don't know if you want to I add agree. anything to that before. No, just, you know, I tell my patients that all the time. You freeze, you fall, or you fail. So if you can give them the ability to feel comforted, that they can move with confidence. I, you know, it's great you brought that up because I didn't even think of that as a real big um, positive to, to that altered experience like that, or that yeah. VR or AR. So let's, um, let's jump right in. Do you want to, um, do you want to, do you want to let our guests in? You want to do a little, uh, I mean, I think feel like we're welcoming back an old friend in a way, but um, I don't. Certainly. I know she's also very busy, so I don't want to keep her out of the out of the room yeah. any longer. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So Carolyn Brown is our guest this week, um, Dr. Caroline Brown, actually. Um, for those of you who might have been, you know, with us since the start of the pandemic when we first launched the Next Step Forward, Forward program, uh, Caroline Brown was one. Sorry, I need to emphasize, doctor. Caroline Brown um, was one of our inaugural guests who who really helped us design the the next step forward program from a um, you know the exercise rehab and and lifestyle uh, change point of view. So she has been super busy in the past, got you know at this point eighteen months or so. Uh, so you know we'll we'll invite her, bring her into the room, um, and see what she's been up to. Now, I have to say, Caroline has been getting a bit of help from a technology point of view from her, from her students. So we'll give her a pass here. She <laughs> okay. has her video oh, off. Okay. She has her video <laughs> Or the show. <laughs> Caroline. I hear, her, I hear her laughing a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hello. How are you? <laughs> we're doing great. We yeah, said it. Yeah, we said we're welcoming back an old friend tonight, and it, and it feels just like that. Yeah. Happy to happy to be back. Thank you for having and, me. And I I just have to add because I don't know, Mike, if Caroline, I don't know if you remember this, but do you remember we were we were working on the, Mike gave a little um, intro before you joined us here, 
and talked a little bit about you really stepping up and helping us with the Next Step Forward program. And maybe a few weeks after that, you and I were doing a follow-up call and we were talking about our passion and like how we, passion for education. Do you remember we were on a phone call? Because I, I started laughing when I was thinking I had a long ride back from work today in the car. So I was looking forward to this. And do you remember me taking a phone call from a, a potato field and a pumpkin patch Yes, that's right. <laughs> I think we had about a total of maybe 25 minutes of quality time. And I, and I think I was climbing over to the next field. And I think I maybe I was on top of a big, uh, I, don't, I hope I didn't squish the award-winning pumpkin, but I was helping, you know, things during that time were crazy. And and for my wife and I, it was our, it was our solace. It was our little getaway, a safety. We were just out in our friend's um field lending a hand and i and i don't know why that struck me as so funny but you were you were you were, you were so gracious to 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 hang on while i got better reception i think mike i don't even know if i ever shared that with you but i think you had a late practice that night you were still over in ireland and i said well we got the call and it was a little different and i don't know how much caroline actually heard but anyway Long way of saying, welcome to the show, old <laughs> I don't think I've ever had a phone call with anyone in a potato field. I think that was quite impressive. It was, it was the first for me, too. You were multitasking. <laughs> uh, you know what? Meaningful occupations. That's all that matters. So there you go. That's what you're doing. <laughs> so Mike's going to... Mike's gonna, um, Probably put you on the, on the, not so on the hot seat. We want to get you caught up. I'm going to ask you one hot question, okay? And then I'm going to let Mike go right into a couple of the questions we want you to get us caught up. But you know, you know, Mike and I have been at Enable Us for a bit now. We've been working hard. We've grown the podcast. Do you remember, do we have a show or a project mascot? Mascot. Tough question. Tough question. <laughs> Tough question to start. A mascot. A little, Mike, do you want to give it? You want to give was, a little hint? Was there something behind you on the wall? I, didn't you have something up on perhaps, the wall? Perhaps. <laughs> perhaps not, it's in every episode. Yeah, it wasn't that wall you're behind, or what is it? <laughs> It's a little shaky. You can't really see it's, the It's a little there, shaky. David. It's a little late. I, yeah. I rushed. I didn't have time to work on the lighting. But <laughs> our mascot is our seagull, Wilson. Okay. He remains <laughs> with us. So a lot has changed in the 18 plus months or whenever now. It seems like it's going. We have to start counting by the years. But that has remained stable with us. That has been our, 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 our vision to give flight to enabling more opportunities for stroke. And you're such a big part of that at the beginning. And we want you to share what you've been doing since then, because I'm, I'm totally impressed by um, what you've been doing and your passion. So that was my softball question. Mike's going to ask you the tough ones now. So there we go. <laughs> I knew there was something up on a wall. <laughs> you, you were there. <laughs> Go ahead. No, we've Sorry. all grown. We have all grown and learned in, uh, quite a bit in the last year, for we sure. Have, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So I've given a bit of background, you know, for, you know, obviously where, where you've started to help us last year, but let's dive in, you know, where, 
let's, you know, for the guests who don't know you and, you know, they're saying, who is Dr. Carolyn Brown? Let's, let's start by first the doctor. But so what, what's your clinical background? Where are you practicing now? Um, and, and just give a little background of yourself. Okay, so I've been an occupational therapist for 27 years. About three years ago, no, four years ago, I decided to go back and get my post-professional doctorate in occupational therapy. I did it because I was just interested in moving beyond those clinic walls and seeing what else is out there, um, in particular research. So um, I got my doctorate. I graduated last uh, May uh, from Quinnipiac University in Connecticut. And um, I've been since then, I continue to work in my day job, which I work part-time at a rehab hospital in Connecticut, the Hospital for Special Care. I would say the majority of my patient caseload are stroke survivors or brain injury survivors. And then um, I also, um, you know, with the help of wonderful students and a wonderful board of directors, um, you know, created uh, or am creating a nonprofit called Stroke OT Incorporated in Connecticut. Um, in addition to that, I do teach at the Quinnipiac part-time once in a while. Um, did a lot of teaching this summer, taught anatomy. I don't know what I was thinking there. And, uh, <laughs> but, um, in, um, but now I have research students with me, um, a graduate uh, group of four graduate research students with me, and we're getting ready to kick off uh, a new study um, in it pertaining to telerehabilitation, telehealth, and, and stroke survivors. So, so that's what I've been been up to. So, <laughs> busy woman, a busy yeah, is that, woman. Is that is that all? What do you do in your free time? Carl? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I had to feed the kids dinner, and they're downstairs. And I said to them, girls, when it's seven fifteen, you need to go in the tub. So we shall see if I see oh, the light okay. turn on behind me. <laughs> it means they're doing their thing. If not, they're goofing around. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, I, I'm. You know, it's been it's been a whirlwind of you know 18 months, and you know, forever for a lot of people, and especially for the stroke survivor community. Um, a lot of those you know who are listening today, um, you know, have have kind of been in limbo, you know, over the last 18 months, you know, in terms of getting access to rehab, trying to understand what what is life going to be in a rehab, or you know kind of that norm that I was used to, whether it's going to a stroke survivor group or, you know, my normal PT, OT classes, or, you know, really just that, you know, day-to-day -day life. Um, I'm curious, you know, what, what have you been doing and, and, you know, maybe touch on particularly the, the um, exercise group that you've put together uh, and, and been running from a telehealth point of view, you know, I guess, what have you learned from that? And, and what would you say to survivors out there listening who still might be looking for that extra motivation? And, you know, is there anything that you could suggest and open doors to that, those folks listening? Right. So the exercise groups that I've been running via telehealth, they um, pretty much it was, let's see, pandemic started mid-March of 2020. Uh, I found myself furloughed from my day job. I found myself laid off from my teaching job. I was home and I reached out by email to some uh, folks that were in my in-person uh, stroke exercise group at the hospital. And I said, you know, 
I'd love to just keep going. Would you be interested in meeting on Zoom? So it started small, just with a few people. And it was, of course, at that time, assuming the pandemic was just going to last a few weeks. Um, and But it continued. So that uh, telehealth group that I started on Tuesdays at 1 o'clock continues to this day. Um, it it um, When the hospital reopened, uh, of course, groups still weren't allowed in person at the hospital. So I said, well, I'm going to gonna keep going on my own um, and via telehealth. And then finally, this past June, um, the hospital did allow in-person groups to start. And what I did is instead of uh, restarting my group, you know, completely stopping the telehealth group and restarting my in-person group, I said to the hospital, listen, I'm kind of doing my own little thing right now and it's working. I'm really enjoying these uh, survivors getting together every week. It's addressing them their socialization. It's addressing kind of from a psychological standpoint, working out with other people is much more fun than working out by yourself. Um, and then it's, it's just a great way to, to just, um, keep that motivation going towards recovery. So, um, I said to the hospital, could, could you just give me space? Um, I'm doing this on my own time. I'm not getting paid. I can I just have space at least? And the hospital graciously said yes. So what I what I've been doing since um, June, July of this year is that on Tuesdays I have my telehealth group and my in-person group both running at the same time. Now, what made me pleasantly surprised is that I was so convinced that as soon as I started offering in person everyone would close their computer and say, no interest in telehealth. I was so surprised how many people stayed via telehealth. Now, these were people who had limited transportation, so they couldn't get to the in-person group. These were people that um, kind of have limited caregiver support in the home. So, you know, they could figure things out themselves to open their computer, um, etc. So, I, I think it's been such a, a nice surprise to see that my Tuesday group, which I've expanded now, it runs an hour and a half. So we run three groups in a row based on every, um, everyone's functional level. And um, I've been pleasantly surprised that um, I've had equal number of uh, participants via our telehealth Zoom as I have in person. Sometimes there's even more on Zoom than I have in person. And I think really this pandemic kind of taught people that um, telehealth is, is, is doable. It's it's it works especially if you have limited transportation so um i can't remember your initial question but uh, that was what made me pleasantly surprised as I, far as you had asked about i think you hit him and i'm sorry i'm smiling shaking my head because i'm following that same trend with the patients that i follow and yeah. and we see the numbers nationally for other disciplines and we see you know, when they do customer satisfaction surveys from whatever, you know, clinical profession it is, the satisfaction is high. But when you put a face in an exact example, when you kind of in your brand said, this works for now, I'm enjoying it, my patients enjoy it. But when it goes the other way, what's going to happen? And it just, it showed that there's this social emotional part that you hit directly on the head that does not get addressed. Like I'll 
you know, if I look back to the days that I was in the clinic, many of my patients will come in and they want to kind of veer off if you, you know, because if you're working one-on-one, they want to kind of have a little fun with the person working next to them. And, and, and the reimbursement model sometimes doesn't allow so much for that. So what you just described is such like, that's like, yes, yeah, capital with all capitals. So, um, amen. You didn't, you like, that's, that's uh, that's probably one of the reasons why you're studying this, right? As well, right? I it mean- is. It is. There's a, a study that I read recently where it said it was had to do with adherence to a home exercise program for stroke survivors. So they took a, a group of stroke survivors in, in this study, and they um, these survivors were getting typical outpatient therapy, and they looked and they saw okay, 89% of those survivors were given a home exercise program to do on their own. But less than 65% of them were doing the home exercise program on their own within one year after they were discharged. So it just tells you that, I mean, I don't know about you, but if I'm given a piece of paper with some home exercises on it, I'm going to get bored pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. It's that group, um, just the, the the group dynamics are really what keeps the momentum going. Absolutely. The HEP sometimes for those, you know, it's referred to short here and in clinical notes is home exercise program, but I look at it and I've heard other therapists describe handum photocopies because yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not as engaging as what you just described. So Mike, I'm sorry to get off. I know. No, we're, no. We're, and I, I think, yeah, this is, it, it's actually kind of gravitated to a very interesting point that I want to bring up to the book. Um, Karen, I, I think you made some amazing points and you hit on things such as group exercise is more fun and engaging um you know with telehealth you know folks who had limited caregiver support in terms of being able to get to rehab they were able to access it um you you could run different classes based on their functional level and and ultimately like you know that this model works right so my question and i guess this goes back to my days when i worked in a, an exercise facility, which, which targeted, you know, we worked with some hospitals and we did, you know, post rehab, you know, exercise, but it, it, it wasn't that rehab setting particularly. It was more fitness and exercise based. So maybe to tee it up to the both of you, do you ever see stroke rehab, especially in the exercise form, kind of moving to a model where, you know, we've always kind of been hesitant to say, you know, we, we don't want to charge stroke survivors, right? And I don't think we do, but if there's value, if there's convenience and there's results, ultimately, I think, you know, we, there should be a model where, you know, that if you're providing this service, you know, there, whether it's discounted through employers, things like that, but there can be a commercial model out there that makes sense. Cause ultimately the, the reimbursement, whether it's through Medicaid any type of insurance is not working and it's very limited, right? So for any strokes of ever get that results, they need to put in the extra work. So do you, do you see anything out there where, you know, you, there'd be models where, you know, survivors would be asked to say, Hey, you know, there's a, instead of going to planet fitness and paying $10 a month, why don't you join these, you know, exercise groups where you have that peer to peer support, you have that accountability and you have professionals giving you that, that exercise program. Do you see something like that working? Yeah, I I mean, I do. It's interesting that from what the research I've done, I think 
the stroke OT exercise groups are the only model of this form in Connecticut. Um, and it's definitely, obviously, it's meeting a need. Um, finding how to make it commercially viable mm -hmm. is definitely a good challenge. I think we therapists have a lot of work to do to think outside the box of the standard traditional rehab setting model. Um, and that's probably going to be honestly kind of the biggest hurdle. Um, mm -hmm. There are like, I can think of um, Gaylord Hospital down in, in Wallingford. They have a, um, a fitness program with groups and, but it's led, it's all run by a grant from the Christopher Reeve Foundation and it's run by like exercise fitness trainers. So it's not run by therapists. So this would really be a It'd be a wonderful opportunity to definitely expand. I don't know why it hasn't been done before, Mike. You're right. <laughs> um, mm. So far, the research I've done, I haven't found much. I have seen this model in Australia, um, over in you know in Europe, yeah. but yeah. for some reason, it's just not happening yet. And in, in the U.S., in particularly in in like group forms, like you right. said, right. instead of joining the Planet Fitness, you would join this you know this yeah. type of program so i don't know what are your thoughts yeah. dave i yeah. don't know i'll just add you know the, we still treat unfortunately like it's an episode of care and it's a short like you mentioned we got to kind of break that mindset um you know we look mm -hmm. at other conditions you look at the way programs that have run successfully around for example pre-diabetes management you have someone that's known to be at risk and we get into the whole behavior change component reduce risk and it makes absolute sense with stroke the closest thing that I have found is, um, and it's specific to just mainly around balance and fall prevention is like following like the Otago model where instead of a short episode of care, um, they're seeing a health professional, which might start in clinic, a PT or an OT to work on a particular problem in this case to reduce fall risk. But then we're not saying goodbye at the end of the month, we're following them where the data has shown in significant fall risk reduction as high as 35 to 40%. And a lot of that still is over in New Zealand, but making its way here and is following it per a year plus and following it what, like you described, Mike, um, providing the support, providing that framework for continued success and just say, okay, um, we're, you know, it's not, you know, there's still a lot of hurdles on the reimbursement, but the numbers are there that shows it's works. It's, it's tracking the outcomes and any, you know, in that model with that success, I'll just add was done with follow-up phone calls, just phone calls. And that, if you add the telehealth component and the engagement part in the small group classes, you reduce barriers even further and you open up for that whole social emotional part too, to bring in more shared experiences and the learning and the empowerment comes from hearing other survivors stories and, and having someone say, this is normal, what you're going through, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that there's a lot of work to be done, but I think in a lot of things, it's going to take people like yourself, you know, leading the charge and saying, you know, this, this works, let's, let let's build on this. So yeah, that's definitely. my two cents. <laughs> <laughs>
It's definitely creating from scratch. I, I, I wish our, our, our reimbursement system doesn't quite get that stroke recovery happens for a lifetime. This is not going to be happening within six months like some other yeah. diagnostic codes do. So, um, But they have to look at it that way, and it, they still don't see it that yeah. way. And I think it goes back to, you know, we've, we've talked previously, Caroline, around that model of you know, what I've always been told, it's follow the money, right? You know, so when we look at stroke rehab, ultimately what what would an employer on their books, you know, be looking to do, obviously get them into the workplace quicker, you know? So I think it's things like you've mentioned before, being able to find those biomarkers such as chronic fatigue or, you know, your fall risk, you know, like what are those key identifiers that you could track as a stroke survivor, that you know you're improving on to ultimately get to a place where you could get back to work because I think that's the number one goal. If we're seeing if we're seeing strokes happen at a younger younger age, but also the all the money going into stroke. I know we just talked about you know a, a, a virtual reality rehab program that got 150 million dollars in funding, but really a lot of the money goes into the acute phase of stroke. So pre-hospital, all right, how could we make sure that this patient gets TPA, gets the right treatment before, you know, that, you know, before they get in the door, even, you know, you see models in Australia where they have CT scans and ambulances now. Um, And it's, you know, that's where the money's going, which is brilliant. But ultimately what's, what, what is that doing? It's creating a survivor who's hopefully, in in some cases, less disabled because they got that treatment earlier in their their care cycle than a survivor who, you know, when it was my mother or you know the people who we know, David, you know, you, you know, you guys are. It was pretty much a a condition that said, all right, well, you're disabled for the rest of your life and you're going right. back to work. So, I think it's that, that change of mindset, and again, it's going to take a voice and. I think we are, you know, some of some of the top folks, you know, who are who are pushing this. So let's uh, let's keep it moving. But keep uh, it moving. yeah, and uh, maybe to dig a bit deeper on to backtrack, we were talking about let's stay on the theme of group exercise and and kind of that engagement, right? So we we mentioned before, and and a big part of our next step forward program was about behavior change and that life, you know, that, that lifestyle redesign. Um, what do you think? And I know you mentioned something previously when we were um, catching up before the call, Caroline, about an OT based coaching program through telehealth, right? So mm-hmm. that it's that extra layer of support, right? So if you put someone in a group exercise class, but then you pair them with a coach, whether it's a a health coach, which we'll dive into in a couple episodes. Um, you know, we have a guest lined up, but you know, it's that pretty much that accountability factor. Um, mm-hmm. And as David and I kind of we've we've framed it, it's like when you start a new job, you get paired with someone who's a senior leader, and it's ultimately that support system. Um, how do you see that working in a OT setting, or you know, just stroke rehab in general? You know, that that coaching support. Right from the OT 
practice model and in my scope of practice, our coaching for this type of population is considered occupational performance coaching. I'm going to show you the book. This is an Australian model um, that was brought to the United States. Occupational performance coaching is just that. It is. Um, it was actually created for uh, pediatric school settings and then expanded by uh, via research into adult rehabilitation settings, in particular um, stroke survivors. So there's quite a few studies out there on occupational performance coaching for stroke survivors. And there's some recent studies on occupational performance coaching, um, individualized coaching uh, for stroke survivors via telehealth. And it's it's shown that it obviously is effective. Um, it's done via uh, much conversation. It's done initially by performing uh, what they call an occupational profile, getting an idea of what your clients, um, you know, patterns of daily function is, what are their, what are their beliefs, what are their roles, what are their values, what are their goals. And um, from that kind of helping them identify really what their goals are, you know, if I have a goal that I want to just be able to um, uh, make dinner for my family, that's my primary goal that becomes our goal with our client and we have weekly coaching sessions in which we meet with them set many weekly short-term goals help them kind of do an activity analysis to break down the activity and figure out ways to either compensate so they can do it more independently or just uh, strengthen remediate so they can do it more independently and work towards that goal so that's um Oops. Hello? We still see you. Oh, okay. Sorry. The, um, so that's, uh, for some reason, my Norton antivirus decided to cover the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, from an OT scope of practice, this would be sort of coaching from an OT realm. Obviously, there's so many different forms of coaching out there. There's, you know, fitness coaching and health, you know, coaching via nurse, coaching via physical therapist, by um, respiratory therapist, by an OT. We all have coaching kind of a, a different um how would you say it? A different model, but we're all getting at the same thing. So yeah, so I'm I'm getting ready to um, apply for um, propose to do a study that does involve occupational performance coaching and telehealth. So it wouldn't it would just look at a group of stroke survivors and get an idea if you are combining occupational performance coaching once a week in a group format. So the group of stroke survivors are actually learning how to support each other for each of them to meet their goals. Um, and then you're acting just as a facilitator each week. Um, they would That would be weekly for six weeks in addition to uh, a group telehealth exercise program. So looking at how all these would work together and how they would impact fatigue, depression, function, and cognition. We're kind of looking at a big piece there uh, by doing assessments and then comparing it to a placebo group. So um, ideally, it's it's that would be coaching 
as far as from an OT standpoint. But I could I could imagine if there became a commercially available um, tele-rehabilitation program where it could be interdisciplinary, I could imagine there being it even be being more effective because occupational performance coaching, we're just looking at the goals of specific occupations. Um, uh, it would be wonderful, obviously, if there was, you know, a PT working on coaching and then a nurse working on coaching at the same time. I can see that <laughs> those yeah. handoffs working perfectly and all working towards that same plan of care. So that's, that's exciting. It's the same. Yeah. It's the same science though, right? It's the same science of behavior change. You know, it's motivational it interviewing, it's goal setting, accountability, you know, and, and you know, kind of that progressive goal accomplishment, like per, along along the way and, and tying in the group element. So I like, I, I love that you're, you're exploring that route. I think it's definitely an area that, that needs some clinical evidence. So, you know, driving that change and being, you know, a, a pioneer in this this field is is super important and and i think it's going to pay dividends to some of the survivors listening and and hopefully you know those not to say those to come but you know the the population that you know will will ultimately be you know survivors one day that that need access to to care you know it's, it's going to really change the way that rehab is delivered I, I i truly believe so great to see you going down that road and what so when you when you move and you know you you've been in this for a little while in this telehealth space, like bring us back fifteen twenty years ago, Caroline. Did you ever imagine that you would have been in the, the tele rehab, exploring group coaching, and it? What, you know, are you are you happy that this is this has come to be? Like, what what do you see? I guess are are you know the question that we'd like to to kind of wrap things up with now that you've been along the lines in a, in a clinical setting and, and we're here in 2021, where do you see, you know, us, us moving in stroke rehab by 2030, 20, 2035? Oh, that's a good question. Absolutely. 15 years ago, never, never in my wildest <laughs> dreams would I think that there would be telehealth groups. Um, I do think occupational therapy, our profession has done a huge disservice by not offering groups because um, our scope of practice tells us to address psychosocial skills. So that's the psychological function and social skills. And how do you address those when you're meeting individually in person with a, you know, was with telehealth via group, this is about the only format. And of course I am doing it outside of the typical model. I'm volunteering to do this. So I'm, I'm not getting reimbursed by any insurance in any way, but I just see incredible things. And I'm hoping that just continued research um, in this will show that it's evidence-based, that it's effective. And I feel like if there's more studies that are out there that look at telehealth group groups that also look at or coaching via telehealth, as well as um, continued, you know, individual rehabilitation. I just feel like it's just going to continue to grow. It's still surprisingly 
fairly new as far as the research out there, but um, it, it's going to happen. I think in I, 30, <laughs> it's what it, you're talking about, Mike, and what you're dreaming of, I, it's going to happen. There is going to be a commercial model, I can imagine, um, you know, where people have this support for the long term and it's going to save money for for insurance you know it's going to save money in the end it's just unfortunately it's got to get researched so much more and to to build that evidence and then of course we're relying on you for that so continue with what you're doing because i think it is because you've stepped back and saw that there's a different way of doing it it's going to be people like you that are the change makers because you know, and 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 so Mike brought you back. So our show is meticulously unscripted, but this is a perfect segue. Mike brought you back 15 years. I'm going to say, if I bring you forward five years, because we know from the patient perspective, which you shared, they embrace this. How do colleagues and peers, because I know what that answer is in PT, how do your colleagues and peers when they saw and observed and know what you're doing, um, are they open to change? Uh, what, what, what's their, you know, can you share any of that? I don't want to get you in trouble, but I just, I'm curious. <laughs> That's a very, it's, it can be touchy. It really, yeah. yeah. Um, how should I say this? So it, it's mixed. There are colleagues that feel very strongly that their paper home exercise program handout is all that a survivor needs to be discharged from therapy, their wave goodbye, and then they're probably going to get a referral back in a year. I think sometimes some clinicians have a little bit of, um, how should I say, if they instead of just giving them an exercise program on paper and say, see in another year, if they instead said, why don't you join this cohesive collaborative group where you can exercise weekly, you have a chance of preventing falls, you have a chance of continue reducing your um, hyperspasticity, you have a chance of continued reducing your depression and post-stroke fatigue. Um, and then, you, but you might not come back to me in a year. I think that's what tends to be a little bit of the hold um, that some clinicians might have, like, wait a second, if this continues, and I refer people to this wonderful long-term telehealth support system, is my job going to be here? Is it going to be viable? And I, I, I don't want to point fingers in any way, but the writing can be on the wall a little bit. Um, like I said, I have colleagues extremely supportive that are sending people left and right. And then I have other colleagues that I, I know they, I hand them my flyers. I tell, but I, they haven't sent one, one person my way. So (laughs) that's my two cents. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. I know it's a touchy subject, but I've had similar conversations in my area and it seems like I think there can be absolutely a perfect balance, but it's going to take the data to support that. It's going to take people like you doing the hard work the day to day to understand how to, how to, how to make that work and, 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 and to sell it because it does work. So I know we really appreciate your time. I don't want to, I know Mike's probably like, yeah, David's going to keep asking questions. Mike, Sorry. I'm done. I'm done, Mike. <laughs> I can go on too. <laughs> <laughs> Mike shaking his head there. <laughs> hey, no, it's always good to chat. It's always good to chat, guys. 
Uh, um, so, so I, I have to just. I, I um, think we might be going through a bad internet patch here. Uh oh. We still. Am I back? Yeah, you're back. Caroline's uh -oh. still. Yeah. Caroline's. Yeah. We're yeah, still I'm there. Still good. <laughs> okay. We better we better wrap it up while we have you. Um, Caroline, how can how can folks reach out to you? We'd like to give you a chance to kind of we'll put whatever you'd like um, in the show notes as um, as we always do following our guests. Um, but is there any um, best way for folks to reach reach you that you'd like them to know about? Absolutely. So please first check out. The website strokeot.org. Um, on the website, there is a um, a link that will connect you to a registration page um, to register for the exercise groups. I do have to stay because um, of licensure laws. I can only have people in my groups that are from Connecticut right now. So we're, I'm not allowed to, to have people outside Connecticut at this point. Um, however, on the website, there are a great deal of pre-recorded videos of all of the exercises that we do in our groups. So you, people outside of Connecticut could at least view that. We also have um, uh, on that first page a link to um, putting your email and we'll share our, our monthly newsletter with you. So uh, strokeot.org would be the first place to look. Um, you could also uh, email me at carolyn.brownot at gmail.com. Um, you could, um, and also on the website, we can, um, there's links to, to our YouTube uh, channel videos, um, Instagram Twitter, all, all of the other ones. I have, I have to say, I have an amazing board of directors and I had an amazing two first occupational therapy students. They have done, I would say this group of wonderful people, Michael, um, have done incredible things to build the, um, build the website, build the social media channels, add videos, because I'm kind of old, so I'm not tech savvy. Um, I can lead my groups, but it, when it comes to anything um, being tech savvy, I, I defer to my wonderful board of directors that have uh, a great deal of technological knowledge. <laughs> so, but, Perfect. But long story short, strokeot.org. Strokeot.org. <laughs> we also will put um, the information you shared on the next step forward program. Um, I think it was the Let's Move where you came in and, and did a great session on getting started with exercise. That's timeless. That's going to stay evergreen. We'll put it in the show notes as well because it's worth to look back and, and, and look forward to all the new great stuff you're also doing. So Mike, take it, take, take us out because um, I've, I've, you know, I'm running out of air and I know, I'll, I know I'll, we're running over. So. All right. Well, for those who, who didn't listen to the let's get moving episode on the next, let's get uh, on the next step forward program, we did a breathing exercise. So I'm going to put you on the spot here, Caroline, but let's, let's send people out with a, with a 30 second breathing exercise and we'll okay. sign off from there. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. So we're going to work on what's called a grounding strategy and a grounding strategies helps relax our body. It kicks in our vagal nerve, which helps increase our serotonin levels. And that helps to reduce depression reduce spasticity and just overall sense of calm. So we're going to work on some deep breathing. I'd like you to do a nice, slow, deep breath into your nose and hold it for three. 
and slowly exhale for six seconds. Inhale again for three seconds. Hold and slowly exhale. For six seconds. Excellent. Do you feel a little better already? <laughs> I'm going to continue that off camera. <laughs> I've got my tea. I've got peace. The dog's not barking. I'm going with that. <laughs> There's Got many on. more things we can do. Progressive mm -hmm. muscle relaxation, vagal nerve stimulation, many things. But that uh, deep breathing, diaphragmatic breathing is one of them. <laughs> Strokeot.com, folks. This .org. Yep, very .org. good. .org. Thank you. That's okay. okay. <laughs> it's been a so pleasure. Much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Bye -bye. Good night. Thank you for listening to this episode of the No Stroke Podcast. Be sure to tune in each week for more knowledge on stroke recovery in the brain with tips, technology, and interesting stroke thriver interviews where they share their success to enable you on your own healing journey. Make sure to hit the follow button on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to our show. Mike and I will love to ask you to rate and review our show to enable us to grow our audience. Please check the show notes to follow us on social so you can connect and reach out to find more about advertising with us or becoming a guest on our show. Until next time, stay well, keep the faith, and keep moving forward.